Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What's up, guys? If you have a copy of God's Word, once you find the book of 1 John, if you're new to the Bible, 1 John's going to be at the end of your Bible. You can go all the way to Maps. And then back up a little bit, you're going to look for a little book that has the number one and then the letter or the word John right after it. We are continuing our series verse by verse through this little book of the Bible that has been amazing. As you're finding your way to 1 John, I just want to share with you kind of a little bit of my, my background. So I'm five years old, spending about a week with my grandmother out in West Texas. And she begins to tell me like, you know, some of the stories of like great, great grandmother, this and that, you know, that sort of thing. And, and then she begins to say that one of our ancestors was born on the Trail of Tears. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's, that's when they marched the Cherokee Indians uh, from the East Coast all the way to Oklahoma. And they gave them some territory. It really was a, a stain on the pages of our history. But when she shared that story with me, I was like, oh, my goodness, I am Native American. Like you might as well told me I was born on a reservation. You might as well give me some 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 Native American name because I went all in with this, y'all. Like and when I say all in, let me just show y'all a picture real quick. Um, I, here's me about three years later. All right, I, I've got a war bonnet on my head. I'm wearing a choker necklace that is a handmade bow and arrow. This is three years after my grandmother shared this news. And so when I say that I was I was all in with this Native American thing, I'm telling you, I was all in. I danced in a couple of powwows. I bought all kinds of paraphernalia. It, and, and then as I got older, as you can see, I'm not wearing those things today. It, I just kind of lost touch with that side of my background. Well, come to find out, um, we unfortunately buried my grandmother this past summer. And I'm there hanging out with my cousins and doing the whole family thing and and they began to, to talk about my grandmother and they said, hey, did Grandma Jean ever tell you all you know, about how we had family born on the Trail of Tears and all this stuff? And all the cousins were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, those are stories we all heard growing up. And, and, and my cousin looks at us and says, well, um, I did a DNA test and we don't have a drop of Cherokee blood in our genealogy. <laughs> so we were just all like, oh my gosh, this was all a lie. I look back and I'm like, man, I, I kind of was pretending to be something that I wasn't for so many years in my life. And I think this is a picture of a lot of our faith. Like I think that that we were growing up and, and a lot of us at some point in our life, we we heard that we were a Christian. You know, we started doing Christian things. We went to, remember Easter services when you could like gather with like in churches with people. You remember those days? Anyway, you, you would go to church on Easter and, and you would celebrate all these things. But then as you got older, you just kind of lost touch with it. But you thought, you know what? Um, you know, that was a part of my background and I'm good. I, I'm in. But as you, as you lived longer and as you became a young adult, what you ca- came to find out is that you really don't even have God's DNA running through your veins. But like right now, the fastest growing religious group amongst millennials is this group that is titled the nuns. Not N-U-N, nun, but, but N-O-N-E. Like what they're saying is that when you ask them, hey, are you a Christian? They're like, no. Are you an atheist? They're like, no. We are none of the above. And so people are leaving their faith by the droves right now. And what they're proving is that they, in fact, never had divine DNA running through their veins. And so we're reading this little book, 1 John, and, and it's all about 
understanding whether or not you are in God's family. I've titled this message tonight, if you're taking notes, DNA test. DNA test. And John is going to give us some things tonight in this little letter that's going to begin to expose whether or not we are truly followers of Christ. Like, here's what you need to know. If if you follow Jesus, if you are in his family, if you will, you love what he loves, you love how he loves, and you believe in Jesus. And so 1 John's coming after us tonight. And the Bible does this, right? Like, like we read the word of God and somehow, some way it begins to read our life. And so my prayer tonight is that this would be somewhat of like a, a DNA test and you would figure out your genealogy because when it comes to the scripture and it comes to Jesus, Jesus would say this, like, like you either fall into one of two categories. You are either in the family of God or you are in the family of Satan. Isn't that crazy? Like Jesus would say, if you are not following Jesus, Jesus would say that you are in Satan's family. And so John, he's building upon this idea that he heard Jesus talk about in John chapter 8 when he's looking at these religious rulers and he says, hey, you guys, you think that you're a part of the family of God, but you don't even recognize me, the son of God. And if you don't listen to the son of God and you don't follow the son of God, then you are showing that you are not in God's family, but you are in fact in God in Satan's family. And so John, he's, he's leveraging what Jesus talked about in John chapter 8, and he's continuing to build upon this idea in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. So you get what he's saying. It's like we, we're going to begin to see the characteristics of the children of God versus the children of Satan. He says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So he's saying that God's kids the righteous and they love. And Satan's kids, they are rebellious and they hate. Which one are you? He goes on in verse 11, he says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Like he's driving this point home all throughout this little letter to this church in Ephesus, that he's orbiting around this idea that people who know God, they love the way that God loves. He goes on in verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. So, so John's leveraging, if you haven't ever heard this story, you can go back to Genesis chapter four. This kind of the poster child of hate and of murder is the first murderer that we find in the scriptures. And that's a man named Cain. And Cain basically kind of the, the long story made short. Cain, he wanted to do church his own way. Like he wanted to present some things to God in a way that he the way that he saw fit, and he didn't want to present the things to God the way that God wanted him to present them uh, to, to, to God. And so listen, you can't just do church however you want to do church and think that God's okay with that. And, and so Cain brings this offering to God, and God rejects the offering, but note this, that he does not reject Cain. He rejects the offering. He asks Cain basically to change the way that he's doing church and, and, and then he goes and he entreats Cain. He goes and he, he says, Cain, would you please just come and, and, and would you follow after my way? And Cain rebels against God so much so that he gets jealous of his brother Abel and he murders. Like the scripture, the word that, that John's using here is that he butchers his brother. That they were of the same family physically, but they were clearly of two different families spiritually. 
And so John's using this as an example, and he goes on in verse 13. He says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. So he's still leveraging this idea. He says, hey, don't be surprised when people are against your way of life. That They're not in God's family. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, John's making this abundantly clear. If you don't love people, you're not a Christian. It's it's clear in the word of God. If you are arboring bitterness, racism, hatred in your heart towards somebody, you are not following Jesus. He goes on in verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, don't, don't get this confused. Like, let me be clear what, what John is, is not saying. He's not saying that murderers can't come to Christ. Like, I, th- I think some of you may be listening to this. Maybe you have that on your track record. Maybe you chose to have an abortion sometime in your life. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you are um, someone who's been accused of homicide. Listen, you are not too far from the grace of God. What John is saying, I mean, our our, script, our scripture and, and our history is marked by, by men, mighty men of God and women of God who were murderers at one time, and God's grace brought them into his family. But what John is saying is that you cannot arbor attitudes of hatred and bitterness and rage and, and even physically murder people and say that you are a follower of Jesus currently. It doesn't work out that way. And this is what he's trying to say. This is a DNA test tonight. And what John is making clear is that if you are a part of the family of God, if you have divine DNA running through your veins, then you love what God loves. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Love what God loves. Love what God loves. And here's what God loves. God loves people. Listen, you you can't love a God that you can't see if if you don't choose to love your brother whom you can see. And John is making that abundantly clear, that you love what God loves, and he's calling us to love. Man, there's so many things that could be said about love, right? I mean, you look at the scripture, this is like such a big theme all throughout the scripture. Uh, We we could talk about this subject matter from the scripture over and over and over. And this is a huge deal, even in the teachings of Jesus. Like he says this in John 13, he's got his guys together at the Last Supper, and he says, I give you all a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you And he says that the world is going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus would say like the brand of Christianity, you know, Nike has its swoosh, uh, Reebok has its thing, Converse has its whatever, you know, Target has its target, you know, the things. And if you were to brand Christianity, the thing physically that represents Christianity, it would be love on display. And so we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Again, this is a theme in 1 John. And so John, what he's going to say is that, that you got to love one another. And we begin to ask this question, okay, how does this play out? Well, Jesus prays a very specific prayer after he gives this command in John 13. And in John 17, he says, I pray that the church would be united. That one of the greatest expressions of our love to a watching world is our unity. Now, we, we talked about politics last time, and so let's talk about uh, something that's equally as uncomfortable in the church to talk about it, and it's all of these isms, right? Like you have uh, classism, you got sexism, but I think one of the things that's still prevalent in our church today that grates against uh, the ears of God is racism. 
Like, like we still have this systemic racism that is alive in our culture today. And, and, and uh, some people may be listening to this right now and you say, well, racism isn't a sin. It's, it's just more of a preference. And if you call racism a preference, you have misunderstood the scripture. That God would put racism on the same level as murder. And the reason why we haven't seen an end to racism in our church is because we have not treated racism on the same link level as murder. And so we need to have this conversation tonight. That if you love what God loves, one of the things that God loves is he loves diversity that is in unity. He doesn't want a church that is uniform. He wants a church that's united, but he wants a church that is diverse. All right? And so when, when people gather, like this is what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be red, yellow, black, and white because they're all precious in God's sight, like the old song, right? And so God is wanting to build a church that is mixed cultures, that is mixed expressions, and he's wanting us to come together and be united in love. I wonder, do you love diversity? Like, like is this something that, that you even have a vision for? Like, think about your crew. Like, is there anyone in your life that you spend time with regularly that doesn't look like you on the outside? Do, do you love diversity? The church is meant to be a diverse place. So I wanted to hear from a, a different perspective on this subject matter. So I invited one of our young adults, Devontae Mosby, to, to join us tonight. And so uh, wherever you're at, uh, hopefully you you know Devontae. Maybe you don't know Devontae, but I just want to welcome him up here tonight. Oh, oh all right. We, yeah, we we'll just keep it clean. Okay. We got the, the church bells ringing. That's what it sounds like, man. <laughs> yeah. So you came right at the right time. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for joining yeah. everybody here yeah. tonight. And uh, thanks so much for being willing to even have this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, as as y'all can see, uh, Devontae and I, uh, we look different on the outside, right? A little bit. A little bit. But we got the same bit. spiritual daddy. We yes, got sir. the same things running on yes, the sir. inside. And um, you, you have a unique perspective just on mm -hmm. diversity. Um, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity. And, and I'm so glad that you took advantage of this opportunity just to share about diversity. And I have a few questions for you. Yeah. And so first question yeah. is, how have you seen the beauty of diversity in your life? Yeah, Chad, um, that's a good question, man. I, I think first and foremost, man, I get the, the blessing of, of seeing diversity in action every day. Um, I'm actually married to diversity. Uh, this, is that her name? No, uh, so her name is Morgan, okay. Morgan Mosby. Um, she is this beautiful mix of black and white, and uh, she's super gorgeous. So very blessed to see that. Congratulations. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I actually was there when y'all got married. You were? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did their wedding anyway. So. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, I also get to see my family. Um, my mom, she comes from this island, a uh, small island in the Pacific Ocean called uh, Samoa. And man, growing up, I got to see the, the food, the people, the language, um, the music and the dances and things like that. Um, so from a very young age, man, I got to see just diversity in action. And uh, it really shows just the, the creativity of so, our God. So you so. got in your household, you got African-American, mm -hmm. you got Caucasian yep. and you got Samoan. Yeah. Just just in your household. Yeah. Yes, now, how is that a picture of what God's household should be? Man. Uh, God wants everybody, uh, just like you said. He doesn't necessarily want uniformity, but he wants unity, uh, and that comes with diversity. Uh, when we see different different cultures, different languages, we only have three represented 
Um, but there's thousands yeah. out there uh, that he's created and that he's calling and, and trying to redeem to himself. So, so you're experiencing the beauty of this, um, but also just you know getting to hear part of your story mm-hmm. and understand how you grew up. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to the subject matter of diversity, um, this is not natural. Like mm-hmm. we tend to, to flock towards homogeny or mm-hmm. people that are like us. Yeah. And uh, diversity is difficult. Um, and, and I think everyone probably has some sort of experience with the difficulty of diversity mm-hmm. because America is a melting pot. Um, but I wanted to hear from you, like, how have you seen the difficulty of diversity in, in your own life? Yeah. Uh, it's just a very, you know, prejudice and, and racism and uh, the difficulty that you're talking about. It's just a very uh, tough thing. And, you know, personally, I think about my wife, for example, who grew up in a small town in Kentucky. Uh, she's one of the only black people in the town and um, the racist remarks about her hair um, just you know places she couldn't go people she couldn't be friends with or for me personally um, just being called the n-word uh, the hard r and uh, being seen as a thug or um, you know or even at work you know the, the work that I do having the, the cops called on me and, and being racially profiled in that way so. so so this isn't you know just to be clear and I don't I, I think most people would understand this that are watching this right. that that racism prejudices this isn't something that was in the 60s no, yeah, no right no it's, I mean this is something like when we talk about God's people mm-hmm. being united this is an area in the American church that is still back behind, mm-hmm. like we that we need to repent of, yep. and that we need to to begin to have this conversation more, right. and and call it call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, how else have you seen the difficulty of divert, even you know in your upbringing? I mean, what what is that? How's it been hard for yeah. you? So um, I think a big part of it, obviously, not everyone uh, you know comes from that type of background. They don't think that way actively, but. You know, I, I saw for, for me a big difficulty that I saw even in my upbringing was I grew up in, you know, inner city, Kansas City, um, 35th in Brooklyn, um, not the nicest area. And, you know, moving out, my mom got us to, to a point where we got to move out to Independence um, for middle school and high school. And, man, I was just it was just different. Um, I, I stuck out, you know, like a sore thumb, it almost seemed like. And. I think the the big difficulty with with diversity, you know, lands in the fact that, um, you know, things just get uncomfortable when we're right. around things and people that that don't necessarily look like us. Yeah, and we have to. I think every one of us has to make a choice: Are we going to lean into exactly. that difficulty, or are we going to run towards uh, familiarity and comfort? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what what, what we want to make clear here is that diversity is beautiful. It is so beautiful, and God wants a diverse church. Yeah, but it is difficult because our hearts are hard. Yeah, we stereotype. Everyone has a prejudice. We mm-hmm. stereotype people, whether we know it or not. Yeah, and we have to get beyond that. And so, this last question I have for you, um, in order to get beyond that, is mm-hmm. is is how? Like, I think somebody's listening to this right now, and they're like, "Man, great ideas, but yeah. functionally, how do you have. begin to yeah diversify?" So, yeah. what would you say to that? Yeah, that's a great, great question, man. I, I think the first question that needs to be answered, um, or the first question we got to reflect on, is you know, do you want it? You know, you got to want it. You got to want to to get uncomfortable. We got to be okay with um, internally asking yourself those questions of, um, you know, am I willing to step out of out of my comfort, yeah. out of my shell? Uh, the second thing you know that I have is is to be cautiously curious, and and by cautious I mean 
um, you know, you got to be tactful about how you go about interacting with people. That's just how it's just the way it is. I mean, you don't want to compromise your, your convictions or, or anything like that um, just to build a bridge with someone. You don't step yeah. into sin just to build a bridge. Um, but what I mean by being curious is that, you know, you have to, to look for different ways, look for different commonalities that, that you share with someone. Um, and those things, when you find, as we say, the 1%, the 1% things that, that we have in common that we get to, to focus on, it gives us a point of reference um, just to start building around that and building a relationship. Yeah, like so. I think, I know for me, one of the things that I'm drawn to is shoes. And so it's funny, yeah. even, you know, we're in a living room right now and it's kind of a shoeless house. And, and uh, but when you came over, um, you know, we both met over here and um, I'm wearing cowboy boots yeah. and you're wearing Yeezys, yeah. you know? And so definitely, um, if you don't know, those are different shoes. And, oh, um, and so very diverse, even in our shoes, but yeah. just being curious, like, Hey man, tell me about those shoes. Yeah. And that can be uh, a, a bridge to build. And Easy. so, um, you got to want diversity, be cautiously curious. What else would you say? And the next uh, I would say is it would be to, to seek understanding. Um, not everyone comes from the same background. That goes without saying. Um, you line people up and you can hear different experiences, different different stories, different struggles. Um, and with that in mind, when meeting a brand new person or someone that doesn't look like you or um, see life the way that you do, you got to seek understanding of what it's like to walk in their shoes and to be empathetic. So that involves you know listening. Just asking questions, yeah. uh, trying to get around it and see what it's like to, to walk in the shoes. I, and I think that's an, an important point to make is uh, is asking questions. You know, that kind of flows right from being cautiously curious. Right. Uh, the problem is, is that we want to be understood. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we don't want to seek understanding. We, we want to be understood. We want to be heard. Right. Uh, but I've heard a guy say this before. I think it's so good that, that you, can, you can make a point or you can make a difference. Mm. That's good. But you can't make both. Mm-hmm. And so when you come in just trying to share your opinion, trying to share your political leaning or about how you grew up or about how you do things, whatever, um, you're really not on the pathway to make a difference. Yeah. And so you got to want diversity. Um, you got to be cautiously curious. Mm-hmm. You got to seek understanding. And, and what else you got? Yeah. And lastly, um, you got to be open to change. Um, be open to, to holding your, your, your views um, on a situation or on a person, hold them loosely, um, and and to to be willing to make a sacrifice or compromise and, and change to see, you know, how we can better mesh our lives and in, in, in relationship. I think about um, a good friend of mine. Her name's Riley. Um, she is from Greenwood, Iowa, this super small town. Um, not a whole lot going on, uh, and she's very quiet, uh, very to herself. Um, but one summer, you know, I was asking all my friends, hawking them down, because uh, I worked at this camp. Uh, it's actually where I met my wife, Morgan. I worked at this camp called Kids Across America. And at that camp, we, we used the gospel and we used sports and activities and, and Christian hip-hop music and the whole culture um, to share the gospel with urban youth. And, and Riley, you know, she, she just decided to... She's just, not urban youth. She is not urban youth <laughs> at all. Um, she is Greenwood, Iowa. Um, but she decided that that's something that she wanted to do. And she wanted, she saw the, the value in, in stepping out and the value of diversity. So she wanted to get around that. And um, she was definitely one of the, 
you know, she was the minority there. Yeah, she 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 was white as yeah. white could come, right? And I, when I tell you, we we get after it at camp in a predominantly African American yes, so. urban culture. Yep. So we're we're strolling, dancing. Yeah. So she's standing out. Yeah, right? big time, big time. And um, I just think about the fact that she, you know, in order to to serve other people, in order to be a, an embodiment of who Christ is, um, she stepped she stepped out, and she she, you know, did what what we talked about. Um, you know, she 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 wanted it. She wanted to be around people who are different than her. She wanted to serve. She didn't necessarily know how or how to fit in, mm-hmm. um, but she wanted it. And then, secondly, you know, she she was cautious, cautiously curious. Uh, she wanted to to know what it was like to to come from that certain area and to to walk in their shoes and to live live the way that they lived. Um, what is it like to stroll and dance the way you guys danced to music? <laughs> yeah. And she would, you know. She'd be out there. She'd be the first one to say that she was super Dance like awkward. a white girl. Yeah, yeah. She's, she was just awkward with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um, but she's out there. But she stepped out there. Yeah. Uh, and thirdly, she she sought to understand, not to be understood. And, and in the cabins, when she's sitting with girls that come from a totally different walk of life than her, um, she committed to just asking questions and listening, um, and trying to understand what it feels like to to be them. That's awesome. And then, um, you know, finally. It shows just the way that she's grown so much and the way that, you know, she was shaped through the whole process of working at camp uh, that she was ready to change. That's awesome. And make an impact. And and God's used her in that. So That is awesome. Well, Devontae, you're doing the same thing. And so, man, I just appreciate your investment in our young adults, your investment in the kingdom of God, the way you and Morgan are living your lives and leveraging your life for the sake of the gospel. And um, when it comes to the principles that you just shared with us, you're walking those things out. This isn't something that you're saying, hey, someone else needs to do these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have divine DNA running in you. And so you're going to love what God loves. And God loves diversity. And I really appreciate you uh, just modeling that, sharing with us uh, today. Sure. And so thanks so much for coming, man. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're just mowing we'll, up. We'll wait. We'll wait. All right, yeah. We'll wait. <laughs> we get that. <laughs> Let's see an era of the church that reflects heaven coming down to earth in the way that we are diverse. I wonder, are you a loving person? Like, Do you love the things that God loves? John, he goes on in verse 16, and he says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so this this new type of love that that John is talking about, that this, this love of Jesus, it is a sacrificial love type of love. And he says in verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Like, I think we we hear this verse and we know this intrinsically, right? Like, like you can't see somebody that's in need, have the means to meet that need and then, and then do nothing about it while simultaneously saying that you love people, Right. But here's what we do functionally. We'll see someone in need and we'll just say, hey, if y'all need something, let me know. And we think that it's loving by asking that question. But here's what's true going on right now. There are needs that that you don't even have to ask about. Like You know that there are needs going on locally and globally, and you have the means to meet them. And if you are not at least trying to meet them, I don't know that you're living biblically. Because when you have divine DNA running through your veins, you love what God loves, and then you also love 
the way that he loves. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Love how God loves. See, here's how God loves. God sees a need and then he meets that need. This is a DNA test tonight. And we are, we are examining our lives to see if we are of God's family or of Satan's family. And if you are of God's family, you love the way that God loves. And so we see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus, the number one emotion that it says that he felt in the Gospels is compassion. And so he would see a need. And compassion is this word that literally means you feel it in your stomach. Like you got, oh, I need to do something about that. And so Jesus would see a need and then he would meet it. I wonder, are you a loving person? Do you love people in action? Listen, compassion without action is just observation. You, you, you cannot see a need and claim to love people and not do something about that. To put it simply, love does. So, so how are you loving people right now? Like, What are you doing to actively love people um, locally and, and then globally? Uh, locally, here's what we have going on. We, we have this thing called a pandemic happening right now. And I think a lot of us are, are hearing messages like this, and we think just because we're shut in that the mission of God is shut down. And, and that's not true, that we are called to love people. And, and so we have this kind of delayed reaction. I've been talking with folks, and we've been putting challenges out there, but because of our fear, we're not actively and innovatively loving people. And listen, perfect love, it casts out all fear. And so like, you got to get creative. Like, if you haven't reached out to your neighbors by now, and you claim, and you're the Christian on the block, something's wrong. You need to get out there, call them if you have their phone number, get this card that we provided for you, and let them know that you're here and that you want to serve them. Uh, our, our church right now, you, you can partner with St. Luke's Hospital System, and you can make masks for health professionals. And we have people, we go to this church called Abundant Life. We have all these people at Abundant Life that are making, I mean, dozens, hundreds of masks. There's going to be a link in the bio below me. You can sign up to, to create and make some things to help provide some supplies for people that are fighting COVID-19 on the front lines and love people. I think another way that we have to consider is what's going on globally. Like uh, In a couple of weeks, um, I was supposed to have hopped on an airplane to go down to Peru. The reason why I was going to be going to Peru is because I have two little girls one named Annalie and one named Leslie that live in Peru that, that I've, I've sponsored, that I've kind of adopted as my Peruvian little muchachitas. It means little girls. And we've been writing letters and my daughters have been writing letters to them. They send me colorings and, and we give money to them monthly to provide for their basic needs. And I was going to get to go meet them. I can't go now because Peru has been shut down because of all that's going on. And I share all that to say that, that can you imagine all the crisis we're going through in America? Could you imagine the crisis that's taking place in places like Peru that, are, that aren't as developed as America? Could you imagine what's going on there? And, and you can make a difference. Some of you have the means to change someone's world like Anna Lee or Leslie. And we've, uh, we've partnered with this little place called Terra. Uh, Poto, Peru, that you can adopt and sponsor kids there for $38 a month. And, and ironically, the, the name of the organization that we're partnering with is called Compassion. And compassion without action is just observation. And so for $38 a month, you can change someone's life. We had this goal as a church to sponsor a thousand kids. We have 70 kids that need to be sponsored. 
And so you can go to compassion.com slash abundant life and you could find out more information about that. Sponsor somebody, change somebody's world. Somebody say, well, why would you do that, Chad? Why would you adopt someone that's clear across the world? Because Jesus adopted me, man. That when Christ changes your life, it leads to your life being given away and laid down so that you can express love to people. Like you are someone's Bill Gates. And God hasn't given you all that you have so that you can have all that you want. And so leverage your resources and leverage your life to love what God loves and to love the way he loves. And some of you are hearing this, you're like, man, where do I get the resources to do that? Like spiritually, where do I get the the heart to want to reach out and have that perspective? Well, John, he, he goes on. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says, and by this, we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. Like John's saying, you can know that you know God. And he says this, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Like, like what the scripture says about the heart is that it has this propensity to deceive you and then condemn you. Like think about it this way. Who has fooled you? Who has lied to you? Who, ha who has bamboozled you more than you? No one has. That, that what the scripture says about our heart is that there's a way that seems right in it, but in the end it leads to death. That some of you right now, you are implementing habits and, and things in your life that are giving you a short-term pleasure that is ultimately enslaving you. And your heart is saying, good, go, go for it. That's what you deserve. That the scripture says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That what will happen is that we will have this feeling in our heart. We will act upon it thinking that's what we ultimately need. And then our heart will condemn us. And the scripture says that God is greater than a heart. That Christ came to give you a new heart. He, he came to remove that dead heart. Like we, God isn't trying, he's not, he's not trying to fix you up. He's not trying to rehab you. He's trying to bulldoze the whole thing. Give you a new foundation. All right. We've got to understand that the heart of the problem is that we have a problem in our heart. And then until we get a new heart, we will never love people with the heart of God. And that's what John is saying, that, that we've got to have confidence in this, that we've got to know that Christ died for us to give us new life. And this is what John's talking about. He goes on in verse 21. He says, beloved. Now, I wish we could just see this not as a title, but as a commandment. Like, think about it. Just take that word and bust it into two words and see it as a command. Every time you see John use this word, beloved, see it like this. Be loved. Be loved. This is the gospel, that you walk in this, that you are loved by God. Be loved. And then operate out of that love. He says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Like, like what he's saying here is like, like not you can ask, like, I, I wish I had a Lamborghini and God's going to give you one. All right. Don't don't get this scripture twisted. Oftentimes people will pluck verses like this out of context and, and they'll they'll create some sort of weird belief system. What John is saying in context is when you clearly understand the gospel and you are walking in obedience to God, when you pray and ask him for things, God will begin to move on your behalf. And let me explain this, that the purpose of prayer is not so that you get things. It's so that you get God. 
And this is important because some of you are praying for things right now and you're hoping to get this thing. And, and so your obedience is driven because you don't want God, but you want God to give you something that you want. And so some of you are like, man, I just want a husband. And, and so you're, you're, you're serving in ministry. You're reading your Bible regularly so that God will give you a husband, but God hasn't given you that husband yet. Because if you were to have a husband right now, you would forget God. And so the thing that you're going after and praying and asking God for, God is saying, wait right now, because if you got it, it would rob you of your relationship with God. And so when God is saying, ask what you want and you will receive, God is sovereign. He is wise and all knowing. And he always answers prayer in one of three ways. Sometimes he says no, because the thing you're asking for, you don't need. Sometimes he says, wait, because he's trying to do something in your waiting and refine some things. And then sometimes he says, yes, because that would bring glory to his name and bring greater intimacy in y'all's relationship. And so John is saying, when we have a right relationship with God, we, we should come to him often. He goes on in verse 23, he says this, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us his commandment. And so again, this is a DNA test that John is simplifying things really, really. I mean, some of y'all, you come from a church background that it's, it's so complex and you got to, you got to be baptized like this, or maybe like this, or you got to read certain verses or you got to do certain things. But listen, let me just make Christianity real simple. You believe in Jesus and you love people. Why don't you spend your life doing those two things? Point number three. And finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Believe in Jesus. Believe in in Jesus. John is saying that if you want the resources to be able to love what Jesus loves and love the way that Jesus loves, then you have to believe in Jesus. I wonder, do you believe in Jesus? I think there's a difference between believing in something and believing that something. Like, I don't know if you've seen people wearing these, these masks around town or not. Um, I, I do leather work on the side, and so I thought it'd be fun to make um, a mask. And so I, I made this mask, and I, I carry it with me. I was actually at Home Depot the other day, and, and I brought it with me. But um, and, and here's what I know. I believe that this mask will help prevent me from getting sick. I, I believe that. I think no one would argue that really. And so I believe that. So I brought it with me to Home Depot. But um, like I've got a little, you know, um, like phobia of being the, the the dad that's kind of a dork, if I could even use that word. And, and so I didn't want to just be like masked up and like be the only one wearing the mask and be the hypochondriac, that kind of thing. And so I just kind of, I surveyed the scene at Home Depot because I'm trying to look tough. I'm in a hardware store, that kind of thing. And, 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 and here's what I, what I did. I brought this mask, believing that it would help prevent me from getting sick, but I left it in my back pocket the whole time. See, if I believe that this mask will help me from getting sick, that's one thing. But if I believe in the mask, then what I'll do is I'll put it on my face. All right, I'm going to show you what this looks like. And I'll walk around with this mask, looking bang, right? Born in the darkness. I was forged and shaped by, right? Now, when I believe in it, I put it on and I wear it. And listen, this is a picture of what John's trying to say. Because a lot of you, you believe that Jesus can save you. A lot of you, you believe that Jesus is a big deal, that, that he should be honored and respected. Maybe you, you tuned into an Easter service this past weekend. But some of you have yet to believe in Jesus. The scripture says you've got to put him on. 
You've got to trust him. Jesus, he's having this conversation with this guy named Nicodemus in John chapter three. And, and he, he literally tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus was, he was like a good dude. He was doing all of these things, trying to find eternal life. And so he asked Jesus, Hey, I'm, I'm keeping like, I'm good. I'm keeping a good schedule. I'm doing all the right things, but what do I need to do to live forever? And Jesus looks at him and says, you've got to be born again. You, you've got to be, you've got to have a new birth that you're spiritually dead, Nicodemus. And then Jesus says this famous verse. He says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him, not believe that he was, but believe in him, he wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That the son of man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Have you believed in Jesus? That verse says that God gave because he loved he gave everything for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to surrender your life over to him. He wants to call He wants to make purpose popular in your life. He wants to call you to be a part of this movement called the church. But you have to believe in him and receive him as your Lord and your Savior. I want to give you a chance to do that right now uh, because... You know, if, if you don't have Christ, what do you got? Like, who, Whose DNA do you have running in you? Like, you, you need to think about who, who's your daddy spiritually? Who, who's the one that you've surrendered to? Because here's what Jesus says. He says this, that if you don't have Jesus in your life, then according to Jesus, you are a child of the devil. Let's change that tonight. So I want to invite you just to bow your head right where you are and just repeat after me. This can be a, a starting point in your relationship with Christ. This could be a defining moment for you. This could be a new birth, if you will, for you. You could be born again right where you are. So I want you to bow your head and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving your life so that I can have life. For you so loved me that you gave everything. God, help me to believe in you. Help me to trust you. I want to turn from my sin. And I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. Or, or maybe you're, you still have questions and, and you're trying to figure out what it looks like to start a relationship with Jesus and you would like to talk with somebody. Well, I want to invite you just to text the word RESPOND to 816-945-9685. And there would be a young adult that would reach out to you and maybe have a FaceTime conversation with you or, or just text back and forth for a little while so that you can get clarity or so that you can share with us and we can celebrate with you. With, with you and your decision to follow Christ. Others of you, maybe you need more information about how to flesh this thing out, how to love the way God loves. And, and you, you're, you, you know Christ, but you want to get connected. You want to take some next steps. We would love for you to text that same uh, word, respond to 816-945-9685. And we'd love to connect with you as well. I want to pray for you as we conclude our time together tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you give us clarity. Uh, that we are yours, that we can have confidence in our relationship with you. 
I pray for my friends that are watching this video that you would help them to have that clarity. God, that you would help them to love the way that you love, help, help them to love the things that you love. But if they don't know you, God, that they would return to their first love. God, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to be a diverse church, help us to be a church that's yellow, that's red, that's black, that's white, that, that has all of these cultures coming together and help us to be this beautiful expression of unity and diversity. For your glory in Christ's name I pray, amen.